Today, though, we are starting in on a new series. We do it kind of around this time every year. And our goal is to bring you guys in on the foundation of what the bridge is built on. And so because we're super clever and smart and creative here at the bridge, we're calling this series Foundations. We say that's impressive, right? That's, that came from a big brain. So we're going to call it Foundations, and our goal is to go through, and, and once upon a time, as our core team sat down and we dreamed up what is the bridge, we prayed and we talked to people and we gained wisdom, and we tried to put together this list of things that we felt, no matter what else happens and no matter what the bridge looks like someday, these things are what we'll build the foundation on. The biggest one of those is the given, and that's all of this is built on God doing this. There's nothing that we can do. This does not exist outside of who God is and what he has decided to do. But beyond that, we feel that these are the things that God has called us to be as the bridge. And so as we go through those for these next few weeks, it's really important. If you've been here for a while, it's good to have a refresher. I know it is for me. If you're new here, these are going to be really important weeks about really learning what is the bridge and maybe learning more about why we do some of the things that we do and why we do them the way that we do them. So we're going to kick into foundations this week, and I'm going to start with two in one week. I'm ambitious, but we're going to get it done, and we're going to have it, we're going to have it happen fast. So uh, our two this week that we're going to be talking about are authentic relationships and gifted service. And I know those may seem at opposite ends of the spectrum, and we don't typically do those together, but the way that God has spoken to me this week on this, these actually marry together very nicely, and they fit really well with what we're going to be doing for Telgate. But we're talking about authentic relationships, and we're talking about gifted services. We're going to do authentic relationships first. There's two kinds of relationships that we can have, that are possible. Every, every type of relationship fits in one of these two categories. The first relationship that we have uh, is, or both of them are vertical and horizontal relationships. Those are our two options. So vertical relationship is if you believe in God and you take that on as part of your belief system, you have a vertical relationship to God. It's just you and him. You and God in that relationship. The other type of relationship we can have are horizontal relationships. If you look left to right, that's everybody around you. That's in this church, that's in your family, that's in your workplace, that's in your neighborhood. Everyone that around us, that, that, that's our horizontal relationship. And our goal at the bridge is for us to have authentic relationships vertically and horizontally. And what that means for us almost most importantly is that uh, as we say, we're, we're here to spread the life-changing love of Jesus Christ with lost and broken people. And we say all the time, we love for messy and broken people to come here, and you're welcome here, and messy and broken people are all that there are. But we want us to move beyond just broken and messy and move into this place of healing, and we believe that authentic relationships vertically and horizontally are one of the ways that we can do that. And us having honesty in our vertical relationship with God is saying, God, I know I'm a mess. And I know I don't get everything right. And I know I don't know what I'm doing half the time. But God, I believe you are who you say you are. And I love you. And, and I want to build this relationship with you. The other on horizontal is looking around at the people around us. And, and out of our generation of, of saying, we're independent. We can do this on our own. We don't need people. My little silo family, we can be all that we need for each other. An authentic horizontal relationship means looking around and going, maybe I do need people more than I thought I did. 
may be one of the things missing in my life is genuine relationships with people who love me and care about me and desire good things for me. And that's what the Bible would teach us. We, we read in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, and it's talking about a horizontal relationship. It says this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. That's a really fancy way of saying if you have two people, you get more work done, Right? Uh, David Fox, our drummer, he's also our church planning resident here at the bridge. Uh, David and I have, uh, mainly David, but I've been helping David every now and then restoring his house. And this dude has started from the floor to the ceiling and is doing the whole thing. And we've had multiple conversations about how long and how difficult this would be if he had to do it by himself. I don't, I think he'd still be painting. I'm pretty sure. But David has reached out and he's connected with other people and we're making progress on this house. And our life's no different. We have to be willing to get more done in life by allowing other people to come in and help us out. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Verse 10 says this, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. I'm going to go back to the house because at one point we decided we're going to stack some ladders together and get about 20 feet up in the ceiling and edge the wall. And I am the dumb one, so I'm the one that did it, I guess. That's why, that's the only reason I can figure out is I'm the one dumb enough to climb the ladder. I know that I would have wanted somewhere to have my back, someone there to hold the ladder, someone there to make, it was a lot safer and it was a lot more comfortable with me knowing someone's got me. Someone's got my back, someone's got the ladder, someone's watching out for me. If either of us falls down, the other can help us up. Verse 11 says this, Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can you keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. We hear this all the time in, in wedding ceremonies and in different places throughout church, but what's so powerful about this is this is authentic community. Because he starts with, well, you can get more work done. And maybe, maybe some of us would agree with that. I can get more work done with other people in my life. But the second one says, but when you fall, and when you're in that pit, and when you're in that dark place, and you're struggling and going through the hardest things in life, you can have somebody there to help pick you up. And that's authentic relationships. That's us being able to reach out to people when we're broken, and when we're messy, and when we're struggling, and have people help us. And when we're alone, and we feel the darkness and we feel the weight of that loneliness. Having people that our hearts can connect with. Not just, not just sports teams in common. But having somebody genuinely that we can connect in our hearts and help each other and keep each other safe and, and warm through that season. We talked a little bit a few weeks ago about Solomon and how Solomon was known as one of the wisest men that has ever lived, and Solomon's the one that wrote this. Solomon had all the money and all the wealth and all the fame and anything that you could ever ask for, he had. And he's the one writing, listen, you can't do it alone. Some of you may claim to be the wisest in here, but I would think probably most of us would say, we probably don't have all of life figured out. We could probably agree to that, at least We've got weakness, we've got struggles, we've got things we don't understand, we're, we're up against things that are bigger than us. And Solomon, who was way beyond us, said, listen, part of that, you just gotta have other people. 
So I want to ask this question. Who has a seat at your table? What do I mean by that? This is another way of just saying, like, who's in your circle? As a complete stranger that I am to some of you, if I just walked into your house one night and sat down at your dinner table while you're eating, that might be a little weird, right? But if it was a family member, a best friend, that's not so weird. That's somebody you would invite to come in and enjoy dinner with you and stay at your table and it'd be comforting and it'd be encouraging. Not some random person walking into your house. Who has a seat at your table? Who's in your inner circle? These are your personal group. These are the people that you break bread with. These are the people that you invite into your home and share life with. Biblically, we've lost a little bit of this. Um, I don't even have a table. I just eat at the couch. Bachelor life. But once upon a time, this idea of gathering around a table and eating a meal together was one of the intimate things you could share with people. It was relationship building. We see consistently that Jesus is gathering his disciples together and getting around a table and eating with them. And sometimes the hardest discussions that Jesus had to have with his disciples happens around food. And I love that vision of, of picturing that and picturing this feast and picturing this table and picturing around the chair who are those people that we're inviting to sit at that table in our life who are those people that we're welcoming in into the the deepest parts of us and inviting them to be a part of what we've got going on and there's two options with that you can invite people into your life that are destructive and distracting and hurtful you can invite people into that table that are encouraging and loving and kind and selfless and I know if you're like me, a lot of times I've made the mistake of inviting the wrong person into my table and at different seasons of life having too many of the wrong people at my table. And it's destructive. I don't do well. As opposed to seasons where I can make some better choices and look around and pick wisely the people that I invite to speak into my life and to give me instruction and, and to give me advice. And those are some of the best seasons of life that I can gather. No matter what's happening situationally, my life is better because of these people that I've allowed to sit at my table. Do you have destructive people at your table or encouraging, loving, kind people at your table? And are you willing, if it's the first kind, if it's the destructive, hurtful, harmful people at your table, are you willing to make some hard decisions to put some better people at your table that love you and care for you? Because that's one of the first steps. It's one of the things it's going to have to take to really build those authentic relationships with people that you're not scared of or intimidated by. Are you willing to make those decisions? The second thing I want to ask on that is, what's the shape of your table? What's, what's, what state is it in? What condition is it in? I've been in seasons of life where I'm praying to God. I'm going, God, why can't I have more people at my table? Why can't I have better influences at my table? Why can't... And, and, and then it's almost after time, God started speaking back in saying, well, your table's kind of like nailed to the ceiling. <laughs> you're not connecting with anybody. You're not talking to anybody. You're not putting yourself out there. You're not making it easy for people to come to your table. You have siloed yourself and shut yourself down and put up this wall so that nobody can see in. And then you're complaining about why no one is there to love you and protect you and, and be there with you in that hard time. What's the state of your table? And I want us to look at that, guys, because that is the, one of the easiest ways to start to remedy this is just action. God's not waiting for you to get everything perfect and tidy and in perfect condition. 
for you to invite people to your table. He's just saying, I just want you to be open to it. And maybe those people are the ones that put your table in a better condition. And shameless plug, because that's part of what this is about, a lot of that's going to happen outside, out of those doors at those tents this afternoon. That happens week in and week out and has been for the last few years at the bridge as people get connected to life groups because they take that step and they, okay, first step, I'm gonna make myself available to have people at my table. I'm not gonna invite them yet. I don't know them. They could be weird. Some of us are. But I'm gonna make myself available and, and put my hands out and see if that's something that might happen for me. And I would say most of the time of the people around the room as I'm making eye contact with some people that are smiling and laughing, that's exactly their story. Siloed and kind of shut off and they went, I'm just gonna give it a shot. I'm just gonna show up one night and I'm gonna try to not be so weird and awkward and I'm just gonna see what people will respond to me. And then down the road they're going, I've met the best friends that I could ask for. I've met people that will support me and love me and they're they're my family. We break bread together. They're at my table. Those are authentic, horizontal relationships. And that's what we want to build at the bridge. And it's why it's one of our core values. It's why it's one of our foundations. But on top of that, your horizontal relationships, if you're, let's say, let's, let's back up and let's say, okay, well, I've started to move some of the negative people from my table out of my life. I've made some hard decisions and got some of those influences away from my table. And, and listen, guys, that doesn't mean you excommunicate them. That doesn't mean you have to cut them off and throw them away with the garbage. It just means you don't have the right to speak into the deep parts of my life because you don't care for me. That's all that means. You don't have the right because you abuse my life when I give you permission to speak into it. And those are the people we have to move away from our table and allow new people to come in. But let's say you've done that. And let's say you've made yourself available. You've put yourself out there and you're meeting people and you're opening up and you're still going, I just can't connect with these people and I don't know what's going on and they're friendly and they're nice and we have a good time, but I'm not feeling that that connection that Brandon's talking about. I'm not feeling that authentic relationship. With that, I'd say, guys, the truth is your horizontal relationships might be suffering simply because your vertical relationship is suffering. And that's some of the trickiness of what is, it's, it's, that is the Christian life, is that to experience anything good horizontally, God's asked for us to connect with him first vertically. And you're going, I just, I can't connect to this, and I can't connect to that, and I'm not connecting with it. Why don't I have any friends? Why don't I have, the, why can't? and God's going, well, when's the last time we've spent time together? When's the last time you, when's the last time you asked me for friends? <laughs> When's the last time you asked for help opening up? When's the last time you asked for help carrying that thing from me? I'm God. They're broken, messy people that love you a whole lot, but I'm God, I'm perfect. When's the last time you've spent time with me? Our relationship with God and our relationship with Christ is so unique and so special and so powerful but we often just kind of treat it like this little high school dating relationship on the side. Where when I'm not busy with sports and school and this and that and my friends, maybe we go see a movie every now and then. Maybe, you know, we'll text on the phone at night. 
I was alive for landlines. I remember what that was like, locking up a landline, talking to a girl. Right, Mom? Yeah. Hey, my parents are in town, by the way. Anyway. (laughs) This is what the Bible says about our relationship with God. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That's a special relationship. That's more intimate language than a casual dating thing on the side. We have a God that desires to live intimately with us to remind us how special we are, to clean us, to make us holy, to present ourselves as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or blemish. I love verse 32 because it answers the question that's kind of in our head of like, well, that's weird to compare our relationship with God to a marriage, like my relationship with my significant other. That's kind of odd. Verse 32 says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. God created marriage to set us up for understanding better our relationship with him. The same way God gave us fathers and mothers to better understand our relationship with him. The same way that God gave us children and brothers and friends to better understand our relationship with him. And we get it all backwards sometimes and we say, well, this is going wrong and this is going wrong and this is going wrong, so God must be bad. God's saying, no, listen, I'm trying to lead you to me through these things and the way that I want these things to be done. Let me give you a great example, and we're just going to focus in on this conversation of, of this marriage relationship. Our relationship with God is really not that different than a marriage relationship and the success of that relationship. Some of us have been in difficult marriages, may still be in difficult marriages. I would wager to say no marriage is just easy. It takes work, it takes effort. But I think if you would examine, if you've been married and you'd examine your relationship or, you know, if you've been with somebody for a long time in a significant other relationship, the times you're doing the best with each other, you're focused on each other, you're serving each other, you're giving you're kind, you're loving, you're spending time to understand what they're going through and, 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 and support them, right? And the times the marriage is struggling the most is when you're doing your own thing and you're selfish and you're focused over here and this has taken a greater priority than this relationship, right? And it's easy somehow for, we, we wrap our brain around these marriage relationships and we can look up and go, oh, well, well that's, this is struggling because they're, they're 
treating me this way or I'm treating them this way. But we get mad at God and don't examine our relationship with him. We get mad because we don't feel loved by him. We get mad because we don't feel like we're connecting with him. We get mad because we don't feel like he's given us what we need. And God's going, well, where are you in this relationship? Are you, are you trying to love me and get to know me better? Are you trying to serve me? Are you trying to connect with me? Are you sacrificing things for me so that our relationship can grow? Because if we will, it's the same as a marriage relationship that we have in the room. If you'll do those things, the marriage gets better. And the perfect thing with God, with God is that he is perfect. And we don't have to wait on him to do things for us. He's willing and ready at the moment. He's ready to connect with you. He's just asking for some time. Give me an opportunity to build a relationship with you. I don't feel close to God. Well, are you trying? Are you putting in any effort to be close? And I've been able to counsel and talk to some of my friends through this in marriage, and they're going, well, I'm just, I don't, we don't feel close anymore. Well, what are you doing to fix that? Well, nothing, just kind of complaining about it. How's our marriage relationship with God? Because if we can fix that, it's no different. Remember, marriage is a horizontal relationship. If we can start getting the vertical right, our marriage relationship will start picking up too. What's even more beautiful about this image is told in this story about a man named Hosea. And Hosea is used all the time as this amazing love story in the Bible. And, and it's used at weddings all the time. But people focus on Hosea, the main character. Hosea and, and Gomer. Funny name, right? Don't find it. Don't. Gomer doesn't need to come back. That name can stay biblical. But Hosea and Gomer, and, and we focus on this in this relationship where, where God's wanting us to back out and look at the whole story. So I want to look at that for a minute this morning. God looks at Hosea, and he says, Hosea, I want you to understand something. There's a broken relationship between me and my people, and I want you to be a part of helping me fix that, but first I need you to understand what that broken relationship feels like. So he looks at Hosea and he says this. <clears throat> the Lord said to me, Hosea's writing this, Hosea uh, chapter three, verse one. Go show your love to your wife, though she is loved by another man as she is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, even though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. A weird way to end that verse. You ever heard raisin cakes in the Bible before? You have now. But stop for a second and look at that comparison. They, they love raisin cakes more than they love their God. And we go, well, that's ridiculous. Who would do something like that? And I think sometimes we examine our own lives and we find that we sometimes love things <laughs> that are inanimate, unloving objects more than we love our relationship with God. We love our time with Netflix, guilty, more than we love our relationship with God. We love our money 
We love this, we love that more than we love our relationship with God. We're, we're like the raisin cake people. What had happened in the story is that God asked Hosea to go marry a prostitute because he said, that's basically my relationship is that I have wed myself to someone who is consistently, constantly unfaithful. Since the very beginning with Adam and Eve, when I set up a relationship that was supposed to be special, I've been connected with the people who are consistently cheating on me. So he sends Hosea to go marry Gomer. And they get married, and they go on their honeymoon, and they have these kids, and then she goes back to doing what she's doing. And that could be the end of the story, and it should be the end of the story for us, and it's a lot, it's the end of the story for a lot of our relationships that we've had, but here's something special. God says, go back to her. Go find her again. Go show her love again, because that's what I do for my people. When they leave, and they cheat, and they run away, and they abandon me, go back and I go looking for them and I go to remind them that I love them. God reminded Hosea of the marriage covenant that he had made all the way back in the beginning. And God prompts Hosea to chase after her and buy her back and pay a price and restore their relationship. And that's what Jesus does for us day in and day out. He professes his love for us. He steps up to the plate every day and says, God, forgive them, not because they deserve it, because I love them. They're my bride. I've sacrificed for them. I paid the price for them. They're mine. God, forgive them. You can't just date Jesus. And it's hard for us to hear. But you can't. It's not a pop in and pop out kind of thing. He's asking for an all in committed relationship because he's gone all in for us. He could do no more than leaving the throne and all authority and all power and all the riches of heaven and coming here in flesh as a man with nothing to his name to dedicate all of his time trying to teach us and grow us and help us and then to end his time here with us by dying on a cross to pay the price for our sins. Guys, he went all in. Where are we? Are we still trying to date him? Are we deciding to get into a relationship with him? Doesn't Jesus deserve more than just an in-and-out kind of relationship. But it's really difficult for a loving God to love his people when they're never around and they're never spending time with him. So what do we do? Because what I don't want this to be is I'm not trying to beat you up, and I'm not trying to guilt you, and I'm not trying to shame you. I'm just trying to get you to see the picture. See what's at stake. See what's on the table. Because what Satan would like to do right now is to twist these words and to convince you that, well, I'm just so broken and I'm so bad and I'll never be this and so I'm just gonna give up. I'll never be what God's looking for. I'm just gonna give up. 
Life will never be good again. It'll never be this. I'll never, so I'm, I'm just done. That's what, God, that's what Satan would love for us to settle to today. But God's saying, listen, you're having an identity crisis. You're thinking that how you feel about yourself defines you, and it doesn't. I've already defined you, God says. I've already paid the price. I've already written the book. I've already told the story. You're my bride. You're my holy church that I sent my son to cleanse so they could be without blemish and without spot so that I could be in a loving relationship with him and give them the things that this world cannot give them. That's your identity. That's who you are. So are you going to take the job or not? Are you going to be in this thing or not? He's the perfect husband looking at his bride saying, I know, I know things are messy and I know things are hard, but I'm here for you and it's going to be all right. I just need you to come back into this thing with me. I need you to give some effort. I need you to pay attention. I need you to serve and sacrifice a little and we're going to make this thing work. The ways we do that are some of the most simple ones we talk about every so often. Block out some time. I mean, this isn't a guilt thing, but if you're, if you're married in the room and you have a date night every now and then, would you mind raising your hand? Just so I can, every now and then, every now and then have a date night. Why do you guys do that? She makes me. Keely. That's a better answer. If you're not intentional, it won't happen. That's why you set time aside to do that with your significant other, because this is important to you. If God is important to you, are you setting time aside for him? It doesn't have to be hours. Are you, setting any, are you trying? Are you giving any effort? Are you setting any time aside to work on that relationship with him? What else do we do in our marriage relationships? We sacrifice for them, right? That's the way we show that we love them. We give up things for them so that they can know how special they are, that they are more important than this thing. What are you sacrificing for God? What are you giving up so that he can see how much you love him? That's an action love. It's a, it's a thing that we need to do. That builds that relationship with him. He loves you regardless. He'll save you regardless. But if you want that relationship, that's what it takes. The other thing we can do that God lines out that builds that relationship with him God's asked uh, Jesus while he's here is confronted by these people and they're trying to trick him up, trying to trip him up and trick him into giving a wrong answer. And they say, there's a bunch of commandments, hundreds. Which ones do you say is the best? Because he's supposed to say, well, they're all the same. All the commandments are important. But he doesn't. He gives them an answer. He says, here's the greatest commandment. Love God. Be his bride. And he says, the second is like it, love people. As you're you're beginning this relationship with God and starting to focus in on this, and as I hope many of you, uh, just like me, are going to take this challenge and rise to the occasion and be a better bride, to be a better significant other to God, as we try to focus on that time, as we do that, I want us to do this second thing. I want us to love other people. Jesus said the first commandment, love God. The second is really close. Love the people around you. Be into your horizontal relationships. Matthew 25, 35 says this. 
This is Jesus talking. For I I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Does that sound like people that love him? Does that look like the people that love us in our life? Do they do those things for us? Is that a way that they show that they love us? Yeah. The men around him, uh, he says, the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry? And when did we feed you? And when were you thirsty? And when did we give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and close you? When did we see you sick or in prison? Remind, I don't remember this happening. He says this, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. He makes the point to go out of his way and say, listen, Spend time with me like the disciples did. Learn from me. Grow with me. Sacrifice for me. But one of the ways you can most easily do that is by doing those things for the people around you. Feed them. Clothe them. Go to them when they're sick. Visit them when they're hurting and in pain and feel like they're in prison. Or literally in prison, which could happen at the bridge. Love God as the bride and love people like you would want to love God. Guys, we have an opportunity to do that. That's why we do this. We don't gain, this is a lot of hard work. It's a lot of work to do this. But we will continue to do it as often as we can because we know that it's worth it for people to be able to walk in those first steps of building these relationships of being in a life group of people that love them and will point them to Jesus and help them grow that relationship with him. Because together, arm in arm, hand in hand, we can be a better bride to God. We can get to that place that he's asking us to be. Just gotta start. Let's pray. God, you've made it clear when, when we love people, it shows that we love you. And when we serve people, it shows that we love you. And when we sacrifice for people, it shows that we're willing to sacrifice for you. God, you love us. You love your children. No matter how broken, no matter how messy, no matter how far away we've run, you love us. God, you love us even if we don't believe in you. But God, for those of us who have stepped across that line and have said, Lord, we believe. Save us. Bring us close to you. God, I put us onto the challenge of rising to the occasion of being a good bride, not because we feel obligated to, not because we feel like you're trying to make us. God, I hope that we serve and we love and we give, not because we feel like you're trying to make us, but because we love you so much, we're just trying to get creative and find a way to show you. 
I don't want my relationships to be about how I feel indebted to them. I want my relationships to be about reminding them that they're special and that I love them. God, that starts with you. How, God, God, speak into my heart. How can I show you today out of just the overflowing love that I have for you how much I love you? How can I do that? God, I know for a fact there are people in this room that are hurting and are broken just like me. And that it's scary to walk out of those doors and to put themselves out there and to make themselves available for inviting people to their table. But, but God, challenge us today to be bold because you have already defined us. Not as broken and not as messy and not as worthless, but as the unblemished, beautiful, valued, cherished bride of Christ. speak into me the ways that I can be a better bride to you. Father, we love you. Help us show you. It's in your name.